What's going on, coaches? Hopefully, you guys are enjoying your off-season, uh, your summer break from teaching but not coaching. Uh, if you guys are uh, like me and you're missing football already, head over to runthepower.com. We've got plenty of things for you guys. We've got a new install coming up shortly. Um, we'll have a new long handoffs, a new O-line film room, all of that for premium members. You can sign up for that, $12 a month. We've also got our O-line hot summit coming, over 18 college and high school offensive line coaches presenting over offensive line. Uh, you can sign up for free for that on our website, runthepower.com, or go to our website and get the all-access pass for the hot summit coming in uh, at the end of June. Uh, so all of that and much, much more on our website. You guys go check it out. It also has, obviously, all of our podcasts. So you guys go over, check out all that we are doing uh, on our website. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Vices. Vices football helmets are different than other helmets on the market. Their design reduces impact forces by yielding in a collision, similar to a car bumper. A concept so unique that the helmet was named one of Time Magazine's top 25 inventions of 2017. The Zero One is the top helmet at every level of football. Nearly every NFL team has starters in the Zero One, including both the Super Bowl MVP and the overall league MVP last season. Over 140 college teams, 1,500 high school programs, and hundreds of middle school and youth teams have made the switch to the Vices Zero One and the Zero One Youth Helmets. Protect your athletes with the top performing helmets in the game. For more information about Vices technology or to request a team price, Team pricing or financing options, visit vices.com, which is V-I-C-I-S dot com on the web. Vices, protect the athlete and elevate the game. This episode is also brought to you by Guardian Caps. Both of our programs, Broken Arrow and Ankeny High School, invested in Guardian Caps this year, and we feel they're helping our guys. Uh, they are soft shell helmet covers that reduce impact during practice and are used by over 100 colleges and 1,000 high schools. Texas, Clemson, Oklahoma are just a few of the colleges using them. Check out our show notes to see what Coach Lincoln Riley thinks about them at OU and to get some pricing. Uh, they're way more affordable probably than you guys would even think. Uh, again, that's Guardian Caps, guardiancaps.com. This episode is also brought to you by GoRoute. GoRoute brings practice efficiency into the 21st century with on-field digital risk coaches. Trusted at practice by more than 350 high schools and 30-plus FBS and FCS teams, GoRoute allows coaches to instantly send out cards, scout cards, and installs to players so they can stay up-tempo all practice without the need for binders or managing multiple huddles. Compatible with all major play-drawing systems and hand-drawing cards, GoRoute teams routinely double or triple their practice reps daily. If you value practice time and want the best preparation, then you need to go no scout cards with GoRoute. Learn more at GoRoute.com. You can email sales at GoRoute.com or call 866-777-1448. Make sure that you mention to them that Run the Power sent you guys and they will give you hook you up with some unbelievable discounts. So again, that's GoRoute.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Jay Wilson. Coach Wilson is a DB coach and special teams coordinator. Listen as we talk with Coach Wilson about his coaching journey through college as a strength coach and DB coach, his philosophy on coaching DBs, and what he looks for when recruiting DBs. You can follow Coach Wilson on Twitter at Coach J. Wilson. Hope you guys enjoy. Like most other people who started young, you know it. First season, I was a big uh, baseball kid at first, and I, you know, I got tackled one time. I said, Mom, I don't know if this is for me, you know, and kind of grew out of that, obviously, and um, just fell in love with the game, the camaraderie, eventually the physicality. Um, played through high school, ran track, grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. I went to a couple um, different places after that. Was initially started in strength and conditioning, uh, interned at Nebraska and Stanford, and then after I left California, I wanted to get back into football, and so I did. And I emailed a bunch of bunch of schools, you know, in the Midwest. I uh, sent out, you know, over 200 emails. I think I got six replies, and volunteered in the spring. They hired me as a GA the next fall, and you know, just kind of have traveled all over through that. You know, met some good people and had some different opportunities. And um, you know, now I'm the at Fort Scott Community College, Fort Scott, Kansas, uh, DB's coach and special teams coordinator. So it's been a it's been a little ride, but it's been good. When you first started in strength and conditioning, was it 
fully strength and conditioning or was it still the time when strength and conditioning coaches could still do some football stuff? You know, truthfully, I was on the Olympic side. Oh, wow. I had torn my ACL, LCL and meniscus in high school. I had a couple surgeries. Some things went wrong. And through my rehab, I had found a sports performance place in Omaha and had gotten an internship there, kind of learned, you know, that was my first introduction to the field and learned about Olympic lifting and different, you know, uh, theories and stuff like that and worked with a bunch of different teams. And, you know, I started with, when I was in college, I, I was getting uh, work with volleyball and soccer were two, my two main sports. And so um, I really just enjoyed, you know, obviously getting to know different people and different, you know, theories and, and uh, different ideas and strength and conditioning and kind of just rolled with it. And so while my sophomore year in college, I interned at Nebraska over the summer and I got to work with baseball, volleyball, gymnastics, uh, women's soccer, and men's soccer. Wow. It was weird, man, because all of those sports are, are really, really different, right? So right. Each, each sport had a different program. And I was really fortunate after I graduated from college uh, to intern at Stanford. My main sport was volleyball out there, and uh, we were really, really good. So that was obviously fun to just <laughs> you know, and, and work with, um, you know, girls who are twice the athlete I'll ever be, you know, and, and just see them. <laughs> do some really cool things and be around some winners, you know, and learn. Uh, Stanford's always on the cutting edge and all that stuff. So getting to learn from them was really, really cool. That's what I was going to ask you. I know, you know, I, I have some background in, in the strength aspects too. And I know when I was kind of running the, the program at a, at a high school and having to do, you know, women's tennis and, and, and volleyball, you know, what are some of the things that you kind of had done, you know, maybe for your, for your overhand athletes, you know, your, your volleyball players, your baseball players, you know, especially like your pitchers, your outfielders, guys that have to throw a lot, you know, what are some things that you can maybe kind of translate over? Cause I know a lot of guys ask us questions about, you know, how do we stre- uh, strengthen arms for quarterbacks and, and what maybe are some, some areas you see, I know there's a lot of coaches that, you know, coach football and they, and they deal with a lot of shoulder injuries and you see a lot of those in, in a lot of the sports that you've worked with coach. So what might be some things that, you know, that can help some of those uh, coaches and kids, uh, especially coming from those, you know, heavy overuse injuries you would see in, you know, the overhead activities. I think the one thing that I never considered as, you know, being in college and being a a young person who thought I knew a lot more than I did was how everything is related. And so everyone wants to strengthen your arm by working your arm. Right. And while that is definitely a factor, we, the thing that stuck out to me was we really kept our athletes from compromising positions, especially, you know, with an arm overhead or arm out to the side or, or a retracted scapula or things like that, where uh, we would focus on everything around it, you know, so making sure our chest was stable, making sure the intercostal muscles were stable, making sure that we were rotating you know, from the waist down the right way, and then from the waist up the right way. Um, and and we've, we really focus, especially in season, on everything else besides that, um, making sure that all that stuff was good. And then the arm stuff was really more preventative than anything else. You know, you did your stretches, and you did your mobility, and you did your, um, you know, your your nerve rolls on a softball or whatever with pressure points and all that stuff. And um, there's a bunch of science you can look up behind that, but we really focused on everything else. Um, and, and the nature really took over, you know what I mean? Like those kids know how to throw really hard or they know how to swing their arm really hard. So us trying to overcoach that was never on, it was never a high priority on the agenda. Coach, I think that's really good insight. I think, you know, so many people, like, like you said, you know, Hey, you know, you do more bench press or you throw more, or you do more long toss. And yeah, there's going to be some, some attributes that you have to do with that. But again, if, if you're weak in a certain area, you know, in, in that chain of, of having to throw or having to hit or having to, you know, whatever it might be, you're not only going to sap power, but you're also going to see, you know, that, that compromising position. That's when kids do get injured because usually there is some sort of imbalance within that chain. No doubt, no doubt. 
Coach, you mentioned uh, also being strengthening or uh, um, special teams coordinator. Uh, my kind of my curiosity is is with a um, I, I believe Fort Scott's a two year college. Is that right? Yes, so so with a two year college being a special teams coordinator, how um, I don't want to say simple, but how how um, direct do you have to make your special teams? Because uh, you know you look at the, some of the four five year colleges. Um, that use a lot of their young guys. They build those guys up through the program. And then juniors and seniors, you know, some really good athletes, but also some juniors and seniors that have been in the program a long time that, um, you know, are smart kids, kind of work into that special teams role. With only having the kids two, sometimes three years, uh, is there things that you have to, um, you know, pull back on with special teams? Or, or is it still similar to, you know, having those kids that you would have had, you know, four or five years at a, at a uh, four or five year college? Uh, you know, I think there's definitely some merit to think that, you know, the learning curve may be greater with um, different places, but, you know, truthfully, we're not gonna have a bunch less than, a, you know, the four year schools. We, you know, we're gonna dumb, not dumb it down a little bit, but we'll simplify some stuff. The thing that I'd like to do as we keep adding to our, um, to our install and to our, you know, complete packages, everything just has to be related. You know, so this punt has to look like this punt, at least in this section. You know, this side's doing the same thing on these three different punt styles. These two guys are doing the same thing on these four different kick returns, stuff like that. Um, and I think teaching it sectionally allows you to have some variance. And then you put guys who can do the different things in the positions to do those different things. You know, and, and at a junior college, sometimes it's a – uh, mental lapse and other times it's a longevity lapse where they just need more reps and obviously we don't have it at a two-year school uh, but I think as long as we continue to relate everything that we're doing together then we can have a a, a complete package that's plenty big um, you know obviously I'm not you know staff wise sometimes the responsibilities uh, limit that you know what I mean I, I do have to coach the DBs um, and have some other different roles uh, just being at a junior college and have a, a few less staff members than most other schools do. But um, at the same time, I want to challenge our guys mentally and challenge other teams too, to prepare for, all, you know, what we can give them. Coach, how do you guys do with like kind of, you know, support staff? I know some of the bigger schools, obviously, I mean, you got, you go to a place like Nebraska or Stanford and you have, you know, it seems like a, a million dudes that are helping out with, with equipment and things like that. And I know I've been at the the smaller schools and you're lucky to pick up, a couple of guys here and there. Is that something you guys are able to kind of get done at Fort Scott where, hey, maybe there's some kids that are thinking of going into coaching and it kind of gives them an in, even though they might not be playing? Um, we definitely, you know, try and approach it that way. It's uh, – Fort Scott's a, a unique town. You know, it's a small southeast Kansas town, and the, the school is filled with mostly athletes, you know. So it's tough to find guys who – um, that, you know, that this is their avenue to get in. Now, um, some schools do a, a good job of posting on the scoop and trying to, you know, offer guys incentives to come be that, be that person for them. And I think that's something that we're, you know, looking into. Um, but, as you know, currently it's really tough to find guys who, at, at least at this place, that have the availability to do that, who aren't playing another sport or something like that. Um, and then otherwise just the time, you know, and so – Support staff-wise, there's uh, we have a film guy, you know, we have athletic trainers, and um, academically, you know, coaches are in study hall. There's a, there are tutors, um, but coaches do the breakfast checks, coaches do the weights, coaches do um, the meetings and uh, everything that we can assist with. We do the class checks, you know, so um, we do a lot of the stuff, and uh, that's okay, you know, it it, it works. I was going to say, I, I, would, I would bet, just kind of like we were talking about before we started recording, I, when I was talking, you know, and saying uh, the cool part about being a high school coach is you're just around these kids so much. I mean, um, you know, in college it can get really easy to be like, oh, there's a certain hour rule and uh, a lot of the coaches don't go to the, to the uh, weight room and all that stuff where in high school you're around them all the time. Um, I, I'm sure that would kind of be a bonus for you. Like you said, you're do, getting to do class checks, breakfast checks which obviously is a lot more work, but uh, you're also getting to be around your guys. They're getting to know you better. You're getting to know them uh, on a more personal level, which 
um, I always have thought that uh, kind of helps them uh, perform at a higher level, uh, allows you to push them a little bit harder. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great dynamic and it works both ways, right? So we obviously, excuse me, we build a great trust with our guys because we are around them all the time, you know, and we show them we care by doing the extra stuff um, and, and being there for them when they need us, you know, and it seems like we're always there because we are, you know, some of us live on campus and RA, you know, the resident assistant at night and do all that stuff too. Um, on the flip side of that, sometimes it's, it's hard to get guys, you know, out of our office so we can do work, you know, and <laughs> a cool problem to have. A good problem to have. Yeah. yeah exactly. But, um, you know, it's a, it's a really cool thing to have that be the biggest problem you know so um, we're really fortunate that we get to be around the guys as much as we do and and I think the trade-off for that is they they can learn to trust us you know and we can prove to them uh, more you know more importantly we can prove to them that um, they can trust us by the work that we do and the time that we spend around them. And I would have to assume that uh, at being at a community college or junior college would again be uh, similar where at least in that as a high school coach, I've always kind of felt like, or, or guys I've talked to, feel like you're really making a change in some of these kids' lives. You know, we're bringing them, maybe, you know, the parents have always ever only gone to high school. And we, we you know, talk a kid into going to take whatever scholarship or no scholarship, play football. But when they do that in college, they're also going to college. And so we really affect their lives, um, you know, quite a bit uh, as high school coaches. But I would assume uh, very much the same as you guys do. Um, you know, taking kids in, whether that's kids that just weren't good enough yet to be a Division One kids, you guys develop them and then send them off to a D1 or a, a big D2 school or uh, kids that maybe didn't make the grades. Uh, they were good enough. They didn't make the grades. They needed that extra help. And you guys were able to do that and kind of, you know, really change the trajectory probably of their life, uh, you know, passing them on to a big division one division two even if it wasn't for football if it was even you know just for the fact that they're going to go get their degree from a from a big college yeah you know and that's that's what I think draws all of us to football right is number one the competitiveness probably and number two the connection we have with the players and and for us like you said it is it is a lot like that you know there are a lot of guys who um this is their second chance you know or this is their redemption story or um, there's a, just a lot of different avenues that guys go through to get to a junior college. And we have guys in all, all of those avenues. You know, some guys didn't get the offer they wanted out of high school, so they thought this would be a good chance to get re-recruited and developed and um, maybe stay close to home for some of them. Some of them needed the grades. They didn't get the grades in, in high school. Either they had offers or they didn't. Um, and some of them were, have already been at a four-year school, and whatever happened, happened. And, and this is kind of their – uh, redemption story or maybe they just left on their own you know or they had a family issue or or whatever and um, this is kind of that chance you know to help them get back on track you know whether that's academically personally um, sometimes even spiritually you know so it's really cool to see guys change as men you know and and um, that that definitely happens because this is college football and this is a um, it demands what it demands, right? The price of being a college football player is the price, and it's very high, you know, especially if you want to be good. So um, we go through the, you know, this, it's like a life cycle almost for some guys and some guys we have for six months and some guys we have for two and a half years, you know, but either way, seeing them grow is, is definitely, I think, what attracts all of us to this game. Coach, you kind of touched on it a little bit. I know you're talking about the recruiting process and, and you know, guys not getting the offer they wanted. So I wanted to kind of ask you, you know, coaching DBs and coaching receivers, which is what I coach, it's a different beast. You know, oh. you, get, you get to deal with some, some interesting characters, we'll put it that way. Um, but <laughs> what, what, are, what are some of the things, you know, you're kind of looking for to DB? I mean, obviously everybody's saying, hey, give me the 6'1", 6'2", guy with the long arms, you know, can play man, can, can move and things like that. But you know, what, what are some of the other maybe intangibles and things that make up a DB? Because it takes a special person, in my mind, to be able to, to play that position from a, not only a physical standpoint, but a mental standpoint. Those guys oh, yeah. have to be some of the, the, the toughest, most mentally tough guys and, and also great athletes to be able to play at a high level. I think the, 
this is a results oriented game, right? Like there's a, there's a score and on each play, there's a ball and the ball determines what the score is. So to me, ball judgment and ball skills have to be really highly prioritized. You know, if you're around the football, when the ball's in the air, can you make a play? Do you affect the ball without it being thrown your way? Um, stuff like that, I think, are, are things that I look for. You know, the, there's definitely a strata of athlete, right? You know, five, six corners are really tough to recruit. That's very, um, tough to coach, too. Yeah, that too. Um, but there's a bunch of six one corners who aren't very good, you know, and, and the reality of it is that's how life goes sometimes. You know, for example, I have a five eight corner right now who had three picks yesterday. First day in practice, he's balling, you know, and he's five eight. You know, he's doing his thing. But um I think when I get him on the phone, you know, confidence is obviously is obviously really important, like you said, you know. A DB could play 100 plays, lock down the dude 99 plays, get beat one time, and everybody's going to remember that one play. Everybody's going to remember the touchdown. Nobody's going to remember the 99. You know, so it takes a really strong mental kid to uh, deal with that, and that's just that's what playing DB is. The thing that I tell them uh, in, our, in our very first meeting, the very first time I talk to you, the very first time I meet you, the very first time I send you a message on Twitter is playing DB – is different you know I'm gonna hold you to a different standard because if we mess up it's a touchdown you know if the D-line messes up linebackers and us can fix it if the linebackers mess up sometimes we can fix it if we mess up it's probably a touchdown mm -hmm. so the standards are different in my room you know and and you can just tell um, by a kid's response whether he can handle that or not and uh, you can see on the field whether you, that kid can handle that or not. And sometimes it's more easily reflected through the play of their teammates. You know, if their teammate messes up, how do you respond? Um, if something out of your control happens, how do you, how do you respond? And, you know, you don't look for perfection because we're human beings, you know, but um, you do look for some consistent, some consistent fight and some consistent grit with that. Coach, uh, what kind of offenses do you guys normally see? Are you, are you guys seeing a lot of, uh, spread 10, 11 personnel or you guys kind of running the gamut uh, in your league? We see both, you know, we'll see some 20 personnel. We'll see a little 21. Um, we'll see some 22, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there are some teams who, who will spread it out a little bit, you know, and um, the concepts aren't crazy. You know, we're not playing, we're not playing like Leach, you know, but <laughs> um, there, there's a good variety and it's a lot of fun to, um, it's a lot of fun to prepare for. And this is my, I got here uh, in January, you know, so I haven't played in this league yet. I haven't coached in this league yet, but just watching the film and, and um, you know, hearing what to prepare for and, and stuff like that has been a, has been a wide variety. I, I feel like just like offensive line, I feel, you know, DBs are, are very, uh, it seems like anyways, a very technical position just with, uh, backpedal, you know, all the stuff that I know very little about, so I almost can't even say that. But uh, just from, from what I've heard and from what I've seen coaches, you know, really good DB coaches seem to be very technical. Um, I, I would have – I've always assumed that that would be some of the most difficult parts being a college coach is, uh, you know, you, you've got a DB that probably believes in a certain technique as they were taught in high school by their high school coach, and then, um, you know, you've got a certain way to play or – or maybe that was an outdated way or just a different way than you, than you coach it. Um, is it, does it add a level of difficulty sometimes trying to break them of, of certain habits that may not even be wrong. They're just maybe wrong for your system. Uh, or is that something that you, you try to just incorporate what they're doing into your, into uh, how you guys uh, do things? I think you have to appreciate where a kid has been to help him get where he's going, you know, and, I think it's important to remember that backpedaling is really hard. You know, like running backwards is not an easy thing to do. And um, we backpedal in the scheme that we play. Some guys don't. Some guys don't believe in it, and that's okay. Um, but we'll play a variety of different techniques, all of which are mostly new for guys. Um, high school defensive back coaches are, are 
sometimes good and sometimes bad, just like every other position, you know. Um, but sure, it all has to relate to the end goal. Like if you've never backpedaled in your life, it's my job to teach you how to backpedal. If you've never backpedaled in your life, I, you know, maybe you don't get recruited, right? You know, or we teach you how to do things that you're good at so we can use what we saw on tape in our scheme. And so there is a there is some adaptation to what kids can and can't do. Um, but for the most part, when you get to a, you know, a certain level and you recruit a certain kind of kid, technicalities are uh, they're not as widely spread as as maybe you would think. But it's definitely important to appreciate where they've been to get them to where they're going. Coach, what are then some of the maybe the the bad habits that you kind of have to to coach out of some of the guys? Is it usually maybe kind of an eye discipline thing? Do they get a little bit maybe too aggressive or, or lunging and things like that? What what are maybe some of the most common things you'll see that you have to to correct technique wise with some of your uh, defensive backs? Yeah, um, I I really try not to overcoach backpedal, and the things that I focus on first are definitely eye discipline. That's really really tough you know, to fix um, just because a lot of great DBs that get recruited in high school are really, really good athletes and they can get away with poor eye discipline in, in high school. Mm-hmm. Getting that done right away is, is really important. And the rest, truthfully, the rest is them being a good athlete, me teaching them what to see and them doing it. You know, a lot of guys backpedal really similarly, truthfully, it looks different, but if you were to measure stride length and measure foot frequency and measure lean, it's all pretty close. Now, there are some guys who I fix a little bit, um, but I really try not to overcoach it. I just let the athletes be the athletes. I teach them what to see. I teach them how to see it. I teach them when to see it and what to do when they see it. You know, and those finer points, getting out of breaks is important, obviously. So I'll teach that a lot more than I'll teach, a, you know, your step needs to be this many inches at this angle, at this frequency type deal. Um, so I discipline for sure. Um, having a general lean, you know, a, a body demeanor, um, a gait, you know, in, in the back pedal is important, you know, so I, sometimes I'll fix that. And then brakes for sure. You know, break, breaking is a hard thing to do. Going from backward to forward really fast is mm-hmm. at the right angle with, you know, with a purpose is, is uh, not an easy thing to do. And um, it's not an easy thing to teach, especially with the limited time that you guys have with them. So, um, those are probably the three things that, that I fix the most. How much of that do you, you really tie in then to kind of teaching them, you know, like route basics and route mechanics, knowing that, you know, hey, cer- certain routes are going to have certain, you know, break points. And then, you know, if I'm playing zone coverage and I see the QB, you know, his his drop sometimes can give away route depth. How much time do you do, you know, kind of teaching some of those guys maybe a little bit of the, the finer points of it so it can help you a little bit, knowing that, hey, I'm going to be in that reactive mode you know, the more that I can anticipate some of these things, it, it can help me out. Every single drill I do has a body language component. And I was visiting, I was actually visiting Nebraska probably three years ago, three or four years ago. And Keith Williams was there, the wide receivers coach. And um, I wanted to learn from him. I thought he was really good. And I wanted to learn what made his receivers good. And he talked about real body language. And Ever since that day, every drill I've done with every DB I've ever worked with has incorporated some kind of body language. Mm-hmm. So when I break, like when I break my guys, I don't use a football. I use my hips and my shoulders. When I weave my guys, I don't use a football. I use my feet and my shoulders. And so I'm teaching them constantly what to see, how to see it, and what to do when they see it. And I think. Um, it's really, really helped some of our guys who maybe aren't as athletic understand what receivers do, um, and, and it puts them in a position to be really successful. And I think the more I can incorporate that into our drills, um, the better. And then obviously on film, you know, we're going to talk about route combos. We'll walk through route wrecks, you know, either through a half line or or a walkthrough or stuff like that, and then a practice and then an individual, and then we'll see it, you know, in the scrimmage or game, but. I think general body language will give away more than it won't. And so I, I, every drill I do has some body language component to it. 
See, I think, I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me too. I mean, you're, you're talking about not using a ball and you hear a lot of, you know, coaches in general, I won't just single out defensive coaches, but you know, you've talked about training their eyes and it's like, man, don't be looking in the backfield. Don't be looking at the ball. And then they go over to the DB drills and they're looking at the ball. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I, I think what you're saying makes, makes a, a ton of sense to me and, you know, being able to, to see and read body language. And it's the, the same thing when I'm on the other side coaching receivers, you know, our guys need to be able to recognize whether it's a man turn or a zone turn, you know, and, and recognizing when you, you guys are playing bail technique and I got the guy running one direction, where do I have my leverage and where can the ball be thrown? So I think that stuff is so, it's almost like so obvious that I think coaches maybe kind of just skip past it. Right. And, and, and don't really focus in on, dude, it, it's all about seeing that body language and seeing another human being because that's exactly what we do. Right. You know, it, a lot of playing DB is a pressureful thing, you know, like, please, God, don't let this guy run by me, you know. So <laughs> having that kind of stress, I think, takes away from your ability to see things and see things clearly and, and understand what you're seeing. And so if we can practice all those things at the same time, um, I think just the comfortability of, and then learning to trust it. Like the thing I say the most in practice mm-hmm. is trust what you see. Absolutely. That the number one thing I say in practice is trust what you see. When you see a kid's shoulders raise up, he's breaking. When you see his hips sink, he's breaking. When you see the quarterback look this way, that's probably where he's throwing the ball. When you see the tackle or the guard four yards downfield, it's a run. Trust what you see. And what I'll, what I'll do is, you know, we'll sometimes we'll, we'll record our individual period. And I posted a video today on Twitter, actually, of a, a very small part of our pre-practice. And then I'll just tie that right into what we see in seven on seven or in team. And I'll pause video or I'll slow play the receiver's routes. And I'll say, tell me when you know he's breaking. You know, and we'll get to the point. Great. Now, I'll say this. Great receivers can't tell. You know, we have a kid on our team right now, a receiver who's who's been in place for a really, really long time, and he might, you know, and, and you can't tell when he's breaking. Um, but other receivers and, and guys we see on film, you can tell. So I'll slow play it. They'll tell me now, you know, and I say, okay. So in this clip, why didn't you trust what you sit, trust what you saw? You know, and so working that into working that into the teaching progression, I think has been helpful for a lot of our guys and, you know, specifically man-based coverages and off-man and, and some kind of sometimes quarters and stuff like that. But, you know, it's just, uh, it's just something that I, that I learned to believe in, you know, and I really believe in it. So that's what I do. Coach Walls, um, I, I know now that you're with the, the receivers, uh, I've always been uh, probably just as a joke, but kind of serious, always yelled at the receivers, especially when I was playing, when they drop it. And I'd say, the only thing you guys work on is catching the ball, catch the ball. But obviously now, um, every, especially now, it seems like it's the buzzword. Talk, they talk about how certain receivers are really good at running routes, which I've never understood. So what are, what are some things that you're teaching or what are you looking for to have to say that a guy's a good route runner? Is some of it at the high school level? Do you, do you get into not sinking hips and not doing things to show it? Or is it the high school level? It, it's all – I mean, I don't even really know. I, I've got no clue. Right. <laughs> How I look at, uh, you know, what I'm going to teach my guys, number one, bad route runners raise their shoulders. Yep. And that's just a fact. You know, if you're going to run, when you sprint, in the game of football, it's not a 100-meter dash. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're going to start off low. Everybody talks about staying low, right? When you sprint off a line, you're low. When a receiver sprints off his line, he's low. When his shoulders raise up, you know, either he's 40 yards downfield on the vertical route or he's about to <laughs> Great route runners, you know, like the kid we have on our team, he's low the whole time, and then he just stops. It's like witchcraft, you know. It doesn't even make any sense, you know. It's, um, and so average route runners are obviously somewhere in between that. Mm. Some guys go from low to lower. Some guys go from low to high to low. You know, a lot of it is just change. You know, a lot of it is just change. Um, and you can tell a lot of times by the receiver's eyes you know, where they're looking, where their head is tilted, where their body is tilted, things like that. And um, those are all usually subjective to the receiver, which takes some time, obviously, to diagnose and, and uh, game plan for and scout out. But 
Um, the basic, the basic ones that I'm going to teach that I'm going to rep myself are high shoulders and, and going from low to lower. And those are, those are the two things that the first two things I'll teach my guys to cue on. He, he's exactly right. And again, when you're talking about guys who, who are bad route runners, they, they take extra steps. Right. So they have their tells, their shoulders are high. And then usually that means they're, they're off balance. You know, they're not in a, in a great body position. So now they'll take extra steps. So when I should be able to stop in two steps, maybe now I stop in four. Right. right? So I'm, I'm, I'm off balance. So again, he's saying, again, those, those good route runners, they rage off the ball low. When I need to be able to stop or I need to be able to break, it, it happens so dang fast. All right. And, the, and there's not going to be that, that cue for those guys to be able to pick up. And even if they do pick it up, the break has happened so fast and they're under such great body control that they can now maintain that separation and, and have that extra half yard or yard. You know, and it, it, on the perimeter with, with that timing of the pass game, you, you tell so many guys, I mean, if you're late off the ball, or, you know, your, your footwork's off at the top of the route. You know, they're like, well, you know, in, in, in life, some people say that's only a tenth of a second. Well, in, in, in that battle, that tenth of a second is huge. Mm. So any, any place you can pick up that amount of time, and I, and I can either get the separation or I'm on top of the DB a tenth of a second faster, that gives him less time to be able to react. So those are some of the things I try to teach guys um, understanding kind of that timing of the pass game. The other thing I try to teach him too is, is basically leverage a, a corner yep. can only take away two things, right? There, there's basically four spots that he has to be worried about, you know, unless he's got underneath coverage or he has help, that means I'm getting doubled anyway. So you guys can only take away the inside or the outside and you guys can either be underneath me or on top of me. So when kids understand, okay, the guy's high and outside of me, I know that I can catch a football that's low and inside, right? If he's, if he's playing, you know, man press and I can get on top of him now, now I'm going to have uncapped space there. So again, teaching those kids that, that idea of space and knowing that the DB can only take away two of those things. And if I know where I can work opposite of that, and especially if the quarterback knows where he can work opposite of that, that's now you have a chance. Got to be on the same page. Yeah, we talk about relative leverage a lot, you know, and um, a lot of teams will use a divider rule, you know. So if he's outside the divider, I'm low and inside. If he's inside the divider, I'm high and outside, you know, relative to my help. Um, in some coverages, there's no help, you know. So um, in some schemes, there's no help. But mm -hmm. I totally agree with, totally agree with your uh, thought about relative leverage. Coach, I'm talking about DBs. Uh, the only other thing I've got anywhere close of an idea is with basketball when I was on defense, and I don't even know if this still holds true. It's just when I was young. Uh, he was, uh, you're supposed to look at their belly button because uh, that won't lie to you. Is, uh, what, you've, you've talked about eye discipline, which I don't even know if you mean eye discipline to the receiver or maybe you know, somewhere else. But uh, when you are talking about you know, covering a receiver man-to-man -man or, or whatever – where are where would a defensive back a good one where's he looking at uh, on that receiver uh, i think it definitely depends on the route you know and, and the receiver but i always cue and you know hopefully you can edit this out if it's uh not a problem, but, um, <laughs> i mean fake titties and fake titties won't lie to you you know so you look at a dude's chest that's a lie, you know, so you can, they can't hide their hips. Their hips are going to tell them where to go. And I actually one time ran with my chest parallel to the sideline and ran forward for 10 yards. I said, if you look at my chest, you'd think I was going to the right the whole time, but I ran straight. And so keying hips, you know, keying belly button, you know, those are probably the two, uh, the two main parts. And then we're a leverage based, you know, defense when we want to play. So the left hip or the right hip, you know, as specific mm -hmm. as we can get. When we're tracking the ball, the only thing that matters in the air is the ball. Um, obviously, we're only going to look if we're in phase. But the third part, you know, of that is probably the mental clock. You know, if we're on a fade ball or we're on a post ball or we're expecting a comeback or a back shoulder, having a mental clock um, to know when to become the receiver when to trigger on his hands, when to trigger on his head, 
or his chest going away to a back shoulder. Um, things like that is, you know, some of the finer points of, of teaching that. Coach, what's the most frustrating thing being a, a DB coach? When, you, when uh, you know, I know, I know a lot of guys like, man, that's just a great ball or great throw. What, what are some of the most frustrating things you find, you know, that, that an offense does or maybe, you know, it, it could just be, you know, what, what your guys do, maybe the, the mistakes they continually make? Man, there's just not a – this is an offensive world, man. <laughs> yeah. Knowing that is sometimes frustrating. You know, if, if we tell a dude to play a certain technique and it's with a certain leverage and the quarterback puts it in the perfect spot and this 6'4 receiver Odell's it over your head, like, look, man, make him do it again, right? That's – make him do it again. And, and – uh Obviously, losing that rep is frustrating. Losing that play is frustrating. Hopefully, you don't lose a game like that. But um, just uh, we want to be as consistent as we can, you know. And so having that mental, that mental strength, again, is really important to know, you know, what I played that as, as well as I could play it. Next time, this is what I'm going to do to combat that. And, um, you know, I even like guys who talk a little trash that say, do it again, you know. And uh, – <laughs> That's that's pretty much how I approach that. And there's nothing that feels better than when you're on the offensive side and you do complete that ball, by the way. It's not cool, man. <laughs> we, we had a few when Walls was at Broken Arrow that we shouldn't have completed and we did. Uh, it's a lot more fun when you do that than when it gets intercepted. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Coach, then, so with your DBs, you know, and Coach Harp just talked about interceptions. I think, to me, this is like fascinating stuff because, again, it, it's it's kind of next page things, but I'd never even really thought about, um, you know, when you guys get a pick or you guys get a fumble recovery, you know, it turns into an offensive play, yeah. you know, you, you got to practice that. So is, is that something that you guys kind of practice, like the blocking scheme? Because I know when Coach Shenander had talked to us, he's like, hey, when you get a pick or a turnover, there's two guys you got to block, the, the intended receiver and you got to block the quarterback because I guess they did a study like if you don't block those two guys, those are the two guys that usually make the tackle. So is that something you guys kind of practice on a daily basis? Yeah. No, we don't. I mean, we don't practice on a daily basis. Um, we work every time that we get a turnover, we're going to set up a wall. You know, and that's just a really, really base, um, base way that we're looking at it. We had our first practice yesterday, you know, so we haven't had a – we should have, um, but we did not uh, instruct our guys. To, to go block the intended receiver because we didn't have any pads on. You know, <laughs> um, the offense kind of stopped and uh, went over and, and uh, did some up-downs for Coach you know, all, uh, all five times they turned it over to us yesterday. But you know, <laughs> we, we the wall and got to the end zone. So I, got, I got my cardio in yesterday, which was good. Uh, but definitely anytime we can hit the quarterback, we're going to hit the quarterback. So sounds like a really good excuse when we have the ball in our hands. <laughs> I was always – Walls, I always played safety when we threw uh, a pick. I knew they were going to come after me. I wasn't going to be that guy that got blindsided. So I went, played safety, and, and tried to uh, dive at somebody's feet. <laughs> that's, what, that's what Alexander would always say, that our head coach at BA. You know, he said he chased a, an interception, I think, one time as an offensive lineman, and he got absolutely laid out by, like, what Coach was describing, by a guy peeling back on the wall. He's like, yep, never doing that again. Probably wasn't going to tackle him, and I got laid out. So. <laughs> That's the thing. I, I, it didn't even feel selfish because I'm like, there's about a 1% chance to tackle the guy anyways. So let's just make sure I don't get killed. Well, Sarv, you're an athlete, man. Don't sell yourself short. Not like those guys are. I'm, <laughs> I'm fatletic uh, a little bit. They're real athletic. I, uh, I just try to go and dive and make it look really good. Maybe I hit their foot, but I probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> Coach Wilson, there would have to be – and I, I don't even know what the penalty would be. If a DB gets tackled by an O-lineman, I mean, wh where's that sit on the penalty or the fine scale? Oh, you're cut. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, we'll pro I'll probably take a picture of it and post it on my door. I was going to say, that, that's, that's one of those plays that uh, the coach rewinds 20 times and everyone laughs at you the whole time. Oh, they, yeah, he would never live that down. <laughs> Say, I imagine the same kind of deal, you know, being a special teams guy, anytime you get uh, tackled by the kicker or the punter, automatic. Now, I will, I'll say this, though, man. There's some kickers and punters out there that can do it, man. Like that Penn State guy, 
from uh, I don't know if he's still there. I mean, a couple of years ago, that dude was laying wood out there. Coach, do you coach then? Uh, obviously, you're in charge of all the the special teams. Do you coach any of the kickers then? Is that something that you've you know had to, had to kind of learn a little bit about? You know, do you coach the punters or kickers? You kind of like, hey, when it's your job, hop up there and it's your job to make it. You know, so it was kind of a unique circumstance. Um, we had a the DB's coach here last year got promoted to defensive coordinator. And the guy who was the special teams coordinator last year uh, left in January. And so we were, we were without one. The DB's coach last year was the special teams coordinator. I should preface it with that. Um, and so we were without one for a little bit. I went to my head coach. I said, hey, man, you know, this is a really cool opportunity. I'd love to um, take on their responsibility. Um, I've worked with some special teams in the past. And I just kind of went, I just kind of went after it, you know, and so our, our current defensive coordinator was special teams coordinator last year has really helped me a lot with um, the scheme that he ran and the ideas he has. And, and so when we break down punt, um, you know, he's a, it's like a half rugby style, you know, punt. And so I'm learning, I'm still learning from him, you know, the finer points of it, but when we practice it, he'll be the one coaching um, that the punter. And then, you know, we kind of uh, delegate the rest of the sections of punt and, as I learn it more and become more comfortable with it, you know, maybe one day I'll take it over, but he's really good. You know, he's been a special teams coordinator for a long time. So um, I kind of just uh, asked him if he'd be willing to still coach that part of it. And I would uh, um, continue to learn it, but he's, uh, he's much better than I am at it. So that's kind of where we're at with that. Um, but I have definitely already learned some really cool stuff from him on that. That sounds Pretty similar to, to the punt that Walls kind of brought over to Broken Arrow, isn't it, Walls? I mean, you guys were a, like a half kind of rugby, half not, right? Yes. I loved it. We <clears throat> we had a couple of punts blocked, you know, just doing kind of the old school, you know, catch it, traditional punt. When guys had guys had it schemed up pretty good. So once we put an athlete back there and let him, you know, run around and, and be a weapon and kick away from people, and then we had, you know, fakes literally every other week teams just started playing punt safe and it was perfect. We could hold the ball for three seconds, let all our guys run down there and then finally kick the thing. So I, I loved it because I thought rugby punt was a, was a great weapon. It is, man. It's really cool to see. Um, even just, you know, I'm, the stats on it are, are, you know, breathtaking when you look at it and then you watch the film and, you know, these returners have almost no chance, you know, to, to get an active return, you know, unless the punter, uh, the punter doesn't do his job, but it's, it's, uh, it's been pretty cool to learn. And then, you know, I'm excited to keep learning about it. Coach, I got to ask you, being a Nebraska guy, are you naturally then just a, a Nebraska fan growing up in Omaha? You know, I never was. Um, I, 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 like, I could appreciate it, you know, because that's where I was. But to be honest with you, when I was uh, – the first team I remember, like, rooting for was USC. And I think that's just because I, I was a Reggie Bush fan. You know, and and uh, I remember in 2001 when Nebraska played Miami in the national championship game, and I think I, like, said that was a cool play when Miami scored a touchdown or something like that. And from that point, I'm pretty sure my family disowned me. But <laughs> I, I, I don't really know why, I guess. I, but I, uh, I don't know if I would consider myself a, a, a skur, you know, like I probably should be. I was actually at that uh, that Rose Bowl game. I did not make it to the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, was a, <laughs> that my team was pretty good. That, that's that's probably the best football team I've ever seen live in person. When you have uh, first round NFL pick, and I'm talking like top ten NFL picks running down and hitting people on kickoff. Oh, I'm like, I I don't think Nebraska has a guy like that on their team, and they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say walls. I didn't know. If this was about to get heated with you being such a big Husker fan, ah, no, man, we're 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 down in the trenches right now, working our way up. I know, I know, Coach Frost is <laughs> is building it brick by brick, man. I'm 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 biding my time. Let people get their twenty years of shots in, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we weren't allowed to to like him here in Oklahoma, so. Um, but I actually always kind of liked it. it. Whenever I was growing up, it wasn't that big of a rivalry anymore. It kind of simmered off, and then. Um, obviously changing conferences, it was uh, – I, I didn't even hardly ever see them play Nebraska or play uh, – yeah, Oklahoma play Nebraska. No, pretty much done dealing from there. Uh, Coach, Reggie Bush, 
best run that Reggie Bush ever made. Oh, man. That one against Fresno State really sticks out, you know, crossing the field a couple times. That was pretty neat. Um, when I was in art class in, like, middle school, I did a – I drew the worst picture ever of him doing the flip against UCLA. <laughs> and uh, got that hung up in my, like, middle school, so that was pretty cool. But uh, probably the Fresno State run sticks out the most. I always remember that one because the, the running back coach, I think it was Todd McNair – yeah. He's standing on the sideline and he's like waving the guy like he's, you know, rounding third base and going to score. I'm just sitting there thinking like, man, that guy hasn't had to coach that guy a day in his life. <laughs> I got him to sign the dotted line. Boom. I'm the best running coach, running back coach in America. <laughs> That's, uh, you can recruit. You'll have a job, man. That's for sure. Coach, have you always been a uh, secondaries coach in, uh, in college? Yeah. So I played receiver and uh, when I volunteered, you know, I volunteered with the receivers because that's what I knew. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the job that was open was a DB's job. And so just made the transition, you know, and soaked it in and learned from every resource and every opportunity and every clinic that, that I could go to, you know, and, and uh, just falling in love with it now. And I don't, I don't know how <laughs> – I don't know what else I, I could coach now. I'd like to learn, you know, the rest of the defense. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, coaching DB's has been pretty cool. Full, you've gone full dark side, haven't you? Oh, I'm in. I'm dumb. I'm in. I've always heard from guys uh, everywhere. Um, they always talk about how much of a benefit it is at their current position to know uh, you've either played at or coached uh, the opposite position. So um, I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to hopefully picking some D-line uh, coaches' brains uh, or, or I don't think I could actually make the move over there, but um, it'd be nice to kind of, get more figured out of a defensive lineman and, and their mindset and things because every coach I've ever talked to that that has made a switch you know from one side to the other that that same position uh, talks about just how how huge of a benefit that is definitely is you know just having you know I didn't play in the NFL or anything but playing receiver was um, you know was what it was and then using what I use for success as a receiver you know, to teach the DBs what they use for success firsthand was um, just a, you know, a pretty clear-cut uh, clear teaching tool. Coach, kind of going back to, you know, when, when you, you decided you wanted to be a coach, you know, be it, be it strength or, or football or whatever it might be, you know, what, what was kind of your thinking or, you know, what was maybe, you know, your, your motivation to get that done or, or you know, what was kind of the payoff for you being a coach? I know, you know, my philosophy, I, I probably tried about every other job there was, and I just kept coming back to, you know, I, I wanted to help kids, and I, and I wanted to be around sports, obviously, because it, it kept me young and kept me involved. But, you know, obviously I wouldn't change it for, for anything else. What was kind of your story with that? I think, um, you know, the first, the first trigger was my coaches were really like father figures to me. You know, and they were they were there for me when I needed them to be, and and uh, without them, I'm I have no idea what I'd be doing with my life. You know, probably, I truthfully I have no idea. You know, so my coaches being there for me um, was a really big part of it. You know, and I wanted to be that guy for other people, and then I got into you know the competitive aspect of it, which fuels us all, right? So being able to learn new things, try them, implement them, see the results, see how to fix them, see better results, um, and, and use it almost as like a personal challenge to see how good could I really be at this? How much can I change the landscape of how we do this? How much can I change the landscape of, of how do we program and how um, is this part of our program affected by this? And then now um, getting to see guys like getting a little more into the you know, my career, having guys call me from past schools and be like, hey, you know, I just got married or, hey, uh, I just got my full my first full time job and I got my first salary and stuff like that. And just seeing seeing all that happen, you know, even from a distance is really, really cool to um, have played a really small part in their life. And and that's you know, that's the first part. Right. It's always about people. You know, if you coach, if you coach football for you know, to be on ESPN and, and, and do all that. So that's great. But what fuels you has got to be the people. And I think that's what keeps, keeps the right people in the profession for so long and, and then winning, 
you know, winning is winning's important to all of us. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to win every day at practice, every single rep in every game and on every recruit, you know, even more so. So um, that part of it, it has got to tie together, I think. And uh, just having the opportunity to be that person for somebody else, number one, and then having, you know, some success in, in learning and, um, you know, being able to to learn from great people has been really cool. I think that's what's kept me in it. And um, I love recruiting. You know, I think that's what has kept me in college. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that's what will continue to, to keep me here. Coach, when you, when you talk about recruiting, you're kind of in a, in a cool area with, with uh, you know, a community college that comes in because uh, you guys get some chances to, um, you know, get some really big-time athletes come to your program. Um, what do you – what are some of the things – and I see you guys, you know, I've seen junior college and community college guys come in and, and truly uh, help, help some of these kids make, the, you know, their decision on what they're going to do going into college, you know, not always saying, Hey, come to, you know, come to our school. Sometimes it's, you know what, maybe you are a, a division two guy, you should go division two, or maybe you're, you know, whatever this is. And, and uh, I've seen a lot of, of guys that are very honest and really do help these kids out. So uh, when you do talk to a kid that's, that's kind of on the fence about, ah, should I go to, you know, division two school? Should I go junior college, try that route? What's a, what's some, um, some tips or what are some things that you try to help those kids out with making that decision or what do you have those kids look at? What are you saying to those kids that are, that are kind of on the fence about which way to go? Um, I just try to answer their questions, you know, and I try to plot questions in their head, maybe that they haven't thought of, you know, and sometimes it's a, sometimes it's a personnel question, you know, like how many DBs do you have on the roster? How many do you expect are going to go division one? Where do you see me in the landscape? You know, and I try not to do God's job for him, but I give them my best answer, you know, and uh, the other side of it for, you know, lower level guys is, is the financial part, you know, because student loans are a pain and nobody wants to do that. But the reality is at the lower levels and sometimes at JUCO, that's what you got to do. So I, I just try to answer their questions, you know, and if they don't have any questions and maybe they haven't thought about it hard enough, but I try to put questions in their mind about what their future looks like. You know, in reality, um, if you're a qualifier and this is, this is either a six month decision or a 12 month decision, 18 month decision, it could be any length of decision. Um, a, a D2 is, you know, a four year decision, you know, potentially. So uh, just, I just try to plot questions and answer them, you know, and, and hopefully it aligns with the kid's best interests. And the kid, the recruit's always going to have an idea of what he wants to do. He always will, you know, and, and for that one kid that's truly lost, I just try to be there for him, you know, and, and work it out. And if it's not us, I'll help him, you know, answer any questions I can about other levels. You know, I've been fortunate to coach at D2. Um, I know some guys at, you know, different division ones and I've talked to guys like that and either set guys up with different schools, stuff like that. But I really just try to answer questions and be there for them and let God do the rest. I love it, coach. Well, we're kind of coming up on an hour. Uh, last thing that I always, always like to ask guys is, uh, it's always the same question, but, uh, when you're watching, uh, an, an opponent's team's offensive line, uh, what's some things they'd be doing that would make you think highly of their offensive line coach? Man, I think I, I love offensive linemen who are assholes. <laughs> if you finish, dudes, you're, I love it. And that's, you know, see, seeing guys finish to me is, is the sign of a good O-line coach. You know, obviously, the, I don't know a whole lot of the technical aspect of it, uh, but I do know that when guys are on the ground and you're on top of them, that's usually good. So, that's uh that's probably the number one thing and then you know obviously major busts are easy to see but uh being an asshole i think is a, a really good quality for an offensive line coach to put onto his guys agreed <laughs> i love that i mean I, you want to just be able to, to tell that to kids you know some teachers and stuff would just you know look at you like what the heck you know what you you like that you can say that like heck yeah dude that's 
But kids want to be assholes. Kids want to be badasses. It's it's one place in the world where you can go out there and get that done. I think that that should be the the basis of of literally, honestly, any football player, but definitely offensive line. If you don't want to hit people and be an asshole, probably going to be hard. You can't do it, man. Well, coach, man, I appreciate you coming on. You got a, a lot of good insight. Uh, you know, you've been a lot of places. You've got to coach a lot of different things. So I think you know being able to kind of bounce around and, and, and talk topics with you is, is a lot of fun. And I also appreciate, you know, that, that growth mindset you talked about too, you know, being in the, in the profession, I think being a coach kind of forces you to, to have some of that growth mindset. And you know what, you know, if we keep growing, it, it keeps us younger and younger, even though Harper says I'm super old. So uh-huh. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming on, man. It's been a blast. Hey, I really appreciate the opportunity and uh, always willing to connect. You know, I love talking ball. I'm in my office you know, 17 hours a day. So just call me, text me, do whatever, hit me on Twitter. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.